Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. All right, second last week of the year, second last Dubai Works interview of the year. This week was a continuation uh, of last week's healthcare uh, topic. We spoke about obesity. Uh, we spoke about disrupting the health industry with a new solution. And this week, that was with Wema Health, and this week is very similar, uh, a different approach. Uh, so I think if you listened, if you found last week's interesting, you'll definitely find this one as well. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we have Ali Hashemi. He is the co-founder of GluCare Health. They are the first hybrid digital therapeutics, human uh, vertically integrated diabetes platform of its kind, right here from Dubai. We're gonna hear all about how GluCare Health started, uh, the med tech industry in Dubai and in the region, and looking uh, to the future. So welcome, Ali. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit about Glucare Health? Yeah, sure. Glucare is a hybrid uh, digital therapeutics platform. Uh, hybrid meaning that there's a very big component of tech behind it, but we use that tech to power an actual human team um, uh, to basically move the needle on one of the biggest problems that humanity is facing, which is metabolic disease. Okay, so yeah, uh, therapeutics in general, what does that mean? Uh, good question. So um, I know the audience is a generally non-medical audience, so maybe I'll give a little bit more context. Um, we started looking at metabolic disease about four years ago. Um, and at that time, as it is today, it's probably one of the biggest problems that society is facing, both in terms of health, but also in terms of cost. Uh, if you look at the US, you know, they spend about 20% of GDP on healthcare. And about a fourth of that to a fifth of that is spent on metabolic disease. So metabolic disease is anything from you know, obesity, insulin insensitivity, all the way through to prediabetes and then diabetes. And then once people are diabetic, you know, most people know that there's a lot of other issues that can arise over time, what's called comorbidities. So diseases that come on the back of another disease like mm -hmm. diabetes. Mm -hmm. Heart disease, orthopedic issues, kidney issues, liver issues. So, Diabetic disease, metabolic disease in general, um, is extraordinarily costly and, um, and destructive uh, on societal fabric. And the UAE and the GCC more broadly uh, is no different than the United States. In fact, we might even be more obese and more diabetic mm. than the US and other, uh, other mature markets. So it's, it's always been a, a huge problem. Um, a therapeutic is something that intervenes on a disease process to try to make a human being better. So a therapeutic could be a drug. So you take a drug for hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, but in the last five to 10 years, we've seen a rapid evolution in what's called digital therapeutics, pieces of software or modes of interaction that are digital that also have an impact on disease. Um, so in the mental health space, there are, you know, purely software platforms that help address things through cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, in the, in the um, uh, metabolic disease space, likewise. So there's pieces of software that on their own by themselves can have an impact on the disease process and the overall outcomes. We started looking at the application of digital tools in the metabolic space with a, a little bit of a first principles view. 
In other words, does a digital-only approach actually make sense? Does it earn you the right to win? That's actually one of our favorite phrases to use. Like, mm. if you're going to do something, earn the right to win in whatever that you're doing. And our view at the time was, and, and, and I think our results have, have borne this out, that's not enough. When you're thinking about something like diabetes or prediabetes or even obesity, part of becoming diabetic, as most people know, is, is a genetic predisposition, right? So your dad was diabetic, your grandmother was diabetic. You've inherited that predisposition, that genetic code that makes you more likely to be diabetic than somebody else. Mm. Take my co-founder, Dr. Hassan. His father is a diabetic, a poorly controlled diabetic. My grandfather died of complications of diabetes. So for the two of us, we're the two co-founders. It's a very personal issue for us. We're mm. solving something that have, has touched our families. Yet Hassan didn't manifest that diabetic predisposition. He actually ended up becoming an Olympian. He represented the UAE in the Beijing Olympics as a single skull rower. He's insane. Amazing. Okay, because that's a very difficult sport. But the point is, the choices that he made and the behavior that he exhibited over time manifested a different genetic predisposition that he had, one which was very athletic. And so we're not defined only by our genetics. We're defined more by how we choose to manifest those genetics in reality, mm. right? And so when you look at metabolic disease and diabetes broadly as a behavioral disease, not as a genetic one, then you start look, thinking about different ways to interact with the patient, the human. Mm. So our view was, look, as, as society, we've never gone backwards in terms of the evolutionary path. Our tech has gotten better. Our drugs have gotten better. Our healthcare systems have arguably gotten better, not worse. We've got insurance when we didn't have it previously. Access is getting better. So on every dimension of healthcare, as society, we've gotten better on each of those individual elements, not worse. Yet, today, we are fatter and more diabetic than we've ever been in human history. And mm. I th we think part of that problem is that the healthcare architecture, the system itself, is actually not designed to tackle the fundamental core issue, which is human behavior. Mm. So GlueCare utilizes the best of breed digital therapeutics. And these are tools that have only evolved really in the last five years. Such as? So they're, they're, so it's quite broad, but it's, to summarize it, it's the utilization of new forms of data in order to derive actionable insights that they can then impact the patient. So you're wearing a Garmin, I guess, right? I've got you know, the Apple Watch and the Fitbit on. We experiment with devices all the time. These devices are getting so much better at tracking certain biomarkers, digital biomarkers. So your Garmin, like my Apple Watch, will track my heart rate, my heart rate variability, my sleep, my activity levels, and a whole host of other things. And they're getting even better. Soon you're going to have algorithms that do blood pressure in a much more accurate way, and so on and so forth. Now, those devices aren't really detecting anything. You've got, you know, you've seen the little light on the back, right? That's mm. an optical sensor. Yeah. It's shooting light into your skin, mm. and the the absorption pattern of that light indicates a color change, basically, in your blood. Mm. Laying on top of that data are algorithms that interpret that color change to mean something. So the same optical signal with a different algorithm can be used to detect snoring because mm. it creates a certain color change versus 
high blood pressure versus activity versus heart rate and so on and so forth. So that algorithmic layer on top of data is evolving very, very quickly. Hmm. Now, hypothetically, let's say you went to a doctor and let's say you were having trouble with weight gain, with sleep issues, with stress, with reflux and all of that you knew was related, right? You know that, okay, I'm not sleeping well, it's leading to stress, my cortisol levels are going sky high. Mm. I know that's resulting in poor eating habits the next day and it's making me gain weight. And then when I gain weight, it's giving me apnea, which makes my sleep even worse, which makes me gain even more weight. So this like downward spiral, mm. right? And you know that because you're an educated patient. And you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and do some self-care. I'm gonna buy myself an Apple Watch, I'm gonna track my sleep, try to improve this. Let's say you do that and you gather three months of data and you go back to your doctor and say, hey doc, listen, I've got this problem. I know you've been telling me that I gotta treat my obesity and get my health under control. I've got three months of sleep data from my Apple Watch mm. here. Can you use this to help me improve my health? What's your doctor gonna say? Yes, provided he can read it. Or yeah, she exactly. Can read it. <laughs> yeah. Doctor's gonna say, look, I didn't learn that in medical school. They didn't teach me how to interpret sleep data from an Apple Watch. I went to med school 30 years ago. Exactly. And even if I knew how to interpret that data, I've got a waiting room full of 20 patients waiting to see me. I don't have time to sit yeah. with you and go through three months of your data. And even if I had the time and I knew how to do it. I'm still just going to write a prescription. <laughs> I'm still going to write a prescription, but also more importantly, yeah. in terms of incentives, I'm not paid for that. Yeah. The insurance companies don't reimburse for any of this stuff. Right? They don't know how, it's, it's too new. Hmm. Insurance companies haven't really yet done the hard work of understanding the ROI on investing in reimbursement for this kind of stuff. So I know that was a long answer to your short question. Digital therapeutics and the application of digital therapeutics is about taking forms of data, translating that through a software layer or an analytic layer into some intervention, whether it's a behavioral intervention, a nutritional recommendation, and so on and so forth, to help a patient. And we're using different modes of this in conjunction with a complete vertically integrated clinical team. So GluCare has endocrinologists, diabetologists, nutritionists, diabetes educators, dietitians, and health coaches, and pharmacists. We have a full lab, we have a full pharmacy. So it's actually a full-on vertically integrated clinic. You can come in and it operates like any other medical clinic. It's regulated by the government. We have medical licensing. We have insurance contracts. Everything that we do for all of our patients is generally covered by insurance. But we put this beautiful tech layer on top. And that tech, in many ways, gives our team, our humans, superpowers. Mm -hmm. The best way for me to sort of articulate how that is, is we take away the sort of banal, um, basic questions that a doctor has to ask. When you go to a doctor, the doctor's like, hey, Richard, uh, how's your sleep been? Are you mm. sleeping well? Mm. Are you taking your meds? Um, have you been getting the activity that you need, the regular you know, 10,000 steps a day? You know, all these sort of basic questions the doctor's gonna ask you. And what are you gonna do as a, as a patient usually, especially if you're a poorly controlled diabetic patient? When the doctor asks you these questions, you won't tell, tell the truth. truth. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you're not gonna tell the truth. And so that's a problem because the doctors then don't have accurate data. The patient reported data is generally speaking, not exactly right. So what we do is we allow our, our clinicians um, reliability on data because that data is automatic. They don't have to ask the patient any questions. I have it. I know how many steps you've taken. 
I know what your sleep quality has been. Are you recommending these devices? We Are give them away for free to our patients. Oh, we right. give, we've done a, we've done a, a sort of a, a global partnership with Google and Fitbit. So um, we're able to, through this partnership, we got preferential pricing from them. We're able to actually give away Fitbits for free to our patients that don't already have wearable devices. It's actually part of the platform. Mm. You know, our platform is a connected platform. So let me, let me walk you through what your journey would be mm. as a patient. Let's say you're worried that you have prediabetes and probably about a quarter of the population is prediabetic and they don't know it yet. Um, so let's say you're worried. You come in and you're just like, listen, um, you know, I've got a family history. I'm a bit worried about prediabetes. And we'll say, great, we'll do a full workup for you. So it'll be kind of like an annual health check where you come in, we'll take your bloods, We'll run you through a full range of blood tests, right? All the metabolic panel. We have a full lab on site. I think we're the only sort of outpatient clinic that's got that because it's technically not allowed. We got special approval by the government mm. to be able to have a lab on site to do our metabolic panels. So, you know, while you'll typically wait three to four days for your lab test to get done, we do them in 30 to 40 minutes. So on site, immediately you get your lab test done. Then you go see the doctor, endocrinologist or a diabetologist, and they'll spend not 10 minutes with you, like a typical medical practice. You'll spend 30 to 45 minutes with that doctor going through every single lab test, and that doctor is now explaining to you exactly what each of these things mean so that you understand. How does LDL factor in? How does blood sugar factor in? And so on and so forth. Thyroid function, all these things that are really confusing to most people, we really try to help our patients understand the basics. Mm. Because once the patient understands, then they can take ownership and accountability and they can feel empowered to change their own lives and their own behavior. After seeing the physician, you then go and you'll spend time with our nutritionist, our dietitian, if you're diabetic, our diabetes educator. And then at the end of the process, and this is a two hour long journey, you'll also sit with the coach, the health coach. Mm. That health coach helps download all the apps that you need, connects you to all the devices, so you might get, you'll get a Fitbit, or we'll connect your own device. You'll get a connected scale. You might get a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. I love CGMs, they produce fantastic sources of data. Other diagnostics that we do, we'll do a full sort of um, body composition analysis, so very, very detailed composition of fat and, and muscle and, 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 uh, and bone mass and so on. Um, if you need it, we'll also do various ultrasound scans. Our ultrasound machines are AI powered, which is interesting. We're one of the first to use this. How, how does that help? How, how, what's that mean? So it takes human in, uh, interpretation out of it, right? We have an, uh, so we have two different modalities. One is a retinal camera. So diabetics, one of the, um, one of the uh, comorbidities, the other diseases that they get on the back of diabetes is diabetic-related blindness. So you have to screen diabetics at least once a year, look inside the back of their eye. And typically that would be done by an eye doctor, an ophthalmologist. And typically you'd have to have another appointment and go to another facility and take another half day off work and go get that done. We have an actual retinal camera with no human. It's an AI software behind it that in 10 seconds gives us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Basically, this screen on this patient is all good, there's no issues, or mm, there are some issues, you should now refer this patient to an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to do large-scale, easy, and low-cost screening without inconveniencing our patients. Similarly, we have ultrasound devices that can do an ultrasound of your liver to detect whether or not you have fatty liver or fibrosis in your liver. And those images are also read by an AI. And that AI has a mathematical scoring for 
much more quantitatively. Mm. How much fatty liver do you have and how much scar tissue do you have? Previously, you would have to rely on kind of the skills of the physician or the technician doing the scan to do that scoring. Mm. So this is a lot, a lot more of sort of objective way of doing it and, and a cost more effective way of doing it. We also have a AI-powered thyroid nodule detector. Right, so for people who have a history of, of thyroid disease, we can do a ultrasound of the thyroid, and then the AI will detect whether or not there's any nodules that should, should concern us. Amazing. Thanks, Sally, for explaining all that. I think you started off by really uh, explaining the problem of the health industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often when digital comes in to a sector, it's called disruptive, and maybe health tech is the promise of that. But you yeah. kind of backed it up by showing what exactly GlueCare is doing, yeah. uh, that you actually have uh, a regulated clinic, uh, you have practitioners, you have specialists, and you have a service, and you married that with tech. Uh, how, when did you start the business? We started building this back in 2019. Yeah. Before the pandemic. Right before the pandemic. Yeah. So we actually were constructing the facility during the pandemic, which had its own challenges. Oh, right. so you launched the facility at the same time as the tech offering as well. Yeah, so we started building the tech platform and constructing the facility effectively in parallel. Mm. And then we, we opened uh, right in the middle of COVID. So we opened in the fall of 2020. Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, was your background in the health industry or... Yeah, both me and my co-founder, we've been in the health industry forever. Um, uh, Asan's background, his PhD is in genetics uh, from UCL, but he spent about a decade as the deputy CEO of Mobadala Healthcare oh, wow. up in Abu Dhabi. So uh, him and his team, they built out Cleveland Clinic. He was on the board. Uh, they built out the three Imperial College London diabetes centers in Abu Dhabi. He built uh, Health Point Hospital and was CEO of that for a while, and then a whole host of other uh, businesses under Mobadala Health, including the National Reference Lab and other things. Um, we met because actually he was my client. I was head of the healthcare practice at Booz at the time, which is a consulting firm. Um, so I built that practice starting in 20, uh, 2007, actually, I, when I moved here from New York City. Uh, so I was at Booz for about um, five and a half years, uh, running the MENA, sort of Middle East, North Africa, and Turkey uh, healthcare advisory practice. We did a lot of this kind of work, feasibility studies, um, uh, due diligence for uh, M&A work for private equity firms, but we did a ton of government and regulatory work as well. So it gave me a really good and in-depth view on the landscape of healthcare across the GCC, which also meant that I kind of knew where all the skeletons were too, and all the white spaces. What are the areas in, in healthcare that we're not addressing well enough? And that could be potential areas for, for investment. Diabetes and metabolic care was one of those areas. In fact, when I was a consultant, I had that proverbial, you know, white napkin that I had jotted, you know, informally, like, you know, what are the top 10 problems that if I had freedom, time, and money, you know, if I quit my job and like became an entrepreneur, what are the things that I would want to, you know, uh, you know, if, if I was funded, had the capital, had the time and had the energy to do it, what were the things that I would, would tackle first? Mm. Um, diabetes wasn't the top of the list, actually. <laughs> the top of the list was, was subacute care and post-acute rehab. Mm. So my first business after leaving consulting about 10 years ago was I founded a, a healthcare platform called Amana Healthcare in Abu Dhabi. And it was actually, I built hospitals from scratch. You know, this was a UAE born and bred brand. We didn't sort of adopt a foreign brand or partner with anybody. We built it from scratch, you know, basically first principles. What's the right way to address the issue of subacute care for patients in the UAE? Um, and that business, you know, uh, you know, knock on wood, uh, thanks to God, did, did really well hmm. um, uh, on multiple dimensions. So we added a tremendous value to society 
right? The patients that we were treating over there, if people aren't familiar with what subacute care and long-term care is, you can think about our first facility like Hotel California. People would check in and never leave. It was mostly people on, on life support that would not survive without that life support. So it was mm. effectively 24-7 ICU level care forever. Mm. And a lot of our patients were kids um, because, you know, in the past, and this has improved over time with a lot of genetic counseling, but in the past, you know, when people married cl close relatives, you ended up having a, um, a greater sort of um, uh, incidence of rare genetic conditions. And a lot of those genetic conditions resulted in, um, you know, uh, debilitating diseases that were neurodegenerative in nature. So, mm -hmm. you know, spinal muscular atrophy, for example, is a disease that we, we cared for a lot where patients were effectively completely paralyzed. They could move their face, they could think and speak, but nothing else worked, including their diaphragm, so they couldn't breathe. Uh -huh. So we actually had these patients on full-time life support. And so that one of the hospitals that we built was designed for those like the most sick and needy patients in society. Mm. Those patients prior to us existing were being flown to the UK or the US at an exorbitant cost to the government, you know, three to five million dollars a year for these patients. So we, you know, we there was a triple bottom line to that business, which is why I loved it. We were helping bring families back together you know, bringing patients back from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia or the Wellington Hospital in the UK and, and having an arguably better care model here because our staffing levels were much, much higher than the international hospitals. And then bringing the families together again, right? You know, instead of the mom having, or the dad having to, you know, spend six months of a year traveling and visiting their loved one who's in an ICU in the US, bring that family unit back. Mm -hmm. But also the economic impact, we were reducing the cost of the government by 60, 70%. So, so that was a great story. Exited that business, and you know, uh, so I sold that business actually to to uh, Mubadla, mm -hmm. to the sovereign fund related to the government. Took a couple of days off, got a haircut, bought myself a pair of sunglasses, and then got back to work. <laughs> you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you've got only that sunglasses, bug. <laughs> exactly, only sunglasses. Yeah. And yeah, and, the, and so the next um, the next uh, the next issue that we wanted to tackle was was metabolic disease. And what's the, what was the business plan when you set out to do that? You've opened a clinic. Yeah. You mentioned at the top of the show about, you know, comparison with the U.S., 20% mm -hmm. of GP, GDP, which is a huge number. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously that's counterintuitive in terms of you're trying to solve the cost that's spent on healthcare, but you actually also see the opportunity in the region from a, yeah. a, a you know, a commercial opportunity. Uh, is, is that the plan? You know the region really well. Uh, do you want to roll out these clinics? Do you want to disrupt the current clinic system in the region? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of layers to that question. Um, and the short answer is we want to disrupt everybody. Because it doesn't work. Nothing that's done today works. And what's being done today is a combination of how we're treating patients, i.e. how clinics and hospitals operate, how we sell things to patients, i.e. drugs and devices and so on and so forth, and how we pay for things, i.e. the insurance companies. Hmm. And to some degree, the, the, how we regulate things. But I, I wouldn't put a lot of blame or burden on the regulators. The regulators keep up with advances as they come. But we believe that the insurance model, particularly when thinking about chronic disease, is totally broken, and we want to disrupt that. And we think that the care model is totally broken. We want to disrupt that. So we actually didn't build Glucare 
as a business. It's a beautiful 10,000 square foot facility. I invite everyone listening to come in and just have a coffee with us. It feels like you know a cross between an Apple store and an art gallery. We designed it with an aesthetic that people would actually enjoy being there. More importantly, it's not in a hospital setting. Chronic care patients should not be going to hospitals to receive their care. Just for one simple reason, that the biggest source of nosocomial infections, i.e., hospital-acquired infections are in, the, in, the, in, in, these, in these settings. Mm. And people with, and we saw this during COVID, people that got the sickest during COVID were people who were obese or had diabetes. They had the worst outcomes. They are susceptible to infection. And so you don't want patients coming anywhere near a sick care environment like a hospital unless they absolutely need to be there. Mm. So I want to suck patients out of the hospitals, number one and get them into a community-based setting. But we didn't build GlueCare because we wanted to build a clinic as a business. We built GlueCare as a lab, as a sandbox to experiment. Not experiment in the sense that we didn't know what we were doing, but we were doing something fundamentally new. The way that we were approaching metabolic disease and combining the human and machine i.e. wearables and CGMs and connected scales and the whole data layer and using that data layer to power our humans had never been done before in the way that we were doing it. And so it was an experiment in the sense that we didn't have outcomes yet. Intuitively, I think we felt like, okay, if you've got a clinical layer, so our clinic does the same things as any other clinic would, like Imperial College London Diabetes Center in Abu Dhabi. And I'll use them as an example because they're probably best of breed in the UAE when it comes to uh, traditional care. And I'll talk about outcomes in a second. So if you look at us as kind of a replica, we're like, okay, well, that's the same. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't compare us to anyone else, you know, your random you know, primary care clinic on Jumeirah Beach Road because there's a whole host of things that we do that, frankly, no one other than maybe Imperial does. You know, so dietitians, nutritionists, educators, coaches, those staff, you know, because they're not reimbursed by insurance companies, no one bothers hiring them, mm. so they don't have them. That's why when you go to a doctor, they'll just get a prescription and be sent home. They don't really do anything else because they're not incentivized to do it. Mm. We do everything, even if we don't get paid for it. We subsidize that, candidly, because we know it's the right way to do things. We want our patients to have the best outcomes. So GlueCare as a clinic was there just to prove that our model works and it works better than anything else out there. Mm. And I'll, and I'll kind of give you two comparisons. Now that we've been open a couple of years, we've started publishing our data in the global academic journals and presenting it a lot now at, at scientific and academic conferences on a global level. So if you compare us to traditional care, Imperial, for example, my co-founder was part of the team that built that and helped run it. Their 10-year data is not promising when you think about actually having a, an impact on this disease process. So for the benefit of the listeners, I'm going to define a couple of, of scientific terms because if you're interested in metabolic health, you will certainly come across it. One is HbA1c, hemoglobin A1c. That is a biomarker in the blood, and it's a simple blood test. And you can think about that blood test as essentially measuring your glucose saturation or your glucose concentration in your blood. And, the, and it's reported on a percentage basis. So you can think about like percent of blood that is sugar in, in a very simplistic sense. Mm. So when you take someone's HbA1c, it's basically a measure of your average blood sugar for the past three, four months. 
An A1C of less than 5.7% is considered normal, normal blood sugar, okay? Between 5.7% and 6.5%, you're now in the pre-diabetic range, hmm. okay? That's when you should start being concerned that your average blood sugar over the last few months has been too high. Above 6.5% A1C is diabetic, full-blown diabetic. Above 7, you're now a poorly controlled diabetic. That's the range where you're basically kind of killing yourself death by a thousand cuts. Hmm. All of the comorbidities related to diabetes are a derivative of that high blood sugar consistently over time. Diabetes is not a disease that you die from overnight. You have the heart attack that kills you overnight, but that heart attack has been 20 years in the making because you've had consistently high blood sugar. Wow. And that blood sugar is damaging your vascular system. Hmm. And that's the common thing. The blood vessels in your eye are damaged. That leads to the retinopathy. The blood vessels in your feet get damaged. You lose sensation. Ends up having, you know, people with diabetes end up with amputations and so on. So a lot of these diseases come down to that basic principle of high blood sugar over a long period of time. Wow. So, so that's kind of now, you know, for the benefit of your audience, below six and a half is pre-diabetic. Above six and a half is diabetic. Above seven is a poorly controlled diabetic. If you look at Imperial's data, and not to put them on the spot, but this is probably, they're probably best in class in terms of traditional medicine. They manage 100,000 diabetics in Abu Dhabi, not a small number. That's a, that's, you know, a significant portion of the population. And over 10 years, they've only managed to reduce A1C by 0.9%. So they've taken people from an average of 8.3, which is off the charts poorly controlled, down to 7.4. So today, or at least the last published set of outcomes that we saw from Imperial, their average patient had an A1C of 7.4, which means that their average patient is poorly controlled. They haven't gotten their patients under control. And your data over two years? Our data over three months is over 2% reduction. How? Because you talked us through the services you offer Correct. and the data, but give us some examples of the solutions. It all comes down to one thing, engagement. It is all about engagement. So when you go to a doctor in a traditional setting, you'll go to that doctor, you'll see them for about 10 minutes. That doctor will spend a minute looking at you and nine minutes looking at their computer. There's no human interaction that happens there. You basically, as you said before, you walk in, you'll get the prescription, you'll walk out. And that doctor will have no idea what happens to you between that visit and your next visit. Now, you're a healthy young male. If you were a, you know, 60-year-old poorly controlled diabetic, you have to go see that doctor once a quarter. And that doctor has to keep close track of you. And every quarter, every three months, you're going to get blood tests. But the, the physician is blind as to what's happening between those visits. Mm. We shine a bright light on that period of time through continuous data monitoring. So your Fitbit, your Apple Watch, your CGM, your scale, all of these IoT connected devices are streaming data back to us 24-7. And then our, 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 our data architecture and our algorithmic layer on top of that is analyzing it. Mm. But then behind it, we've got humans. So we've got actual human coaches that are looking at your data continuously and doing what with it? Engaging with you. So what's really important for our, for our outcomes is that continuous engagement. That's what's driving the better outcomes. Our team is engaging. You have, a, you have access to our team 24-7 through our app. We built a completely custom-made front end and back end. Hmm. 
So our clinical team is interacting with all of your data, all the new data, right, that your traditional doctor wouldn't even know what to do with. Our doctors are looking at your sleep. We're looking at the photos you've taken of your lunch. We're looking at your sleep log. We're looking at everything. And we're giving you insights. We're saying, hey, Richard, look, over the last three nights, you've been sleeping five hours less or, or less. And on top of that, if I'm looking at the foods that you've been eating, because you're getting little sleep, your, sh your sugar cravings are going up the next day. Mm. Look, your average meals now are much more highly... Uh, carbohydrate based mm. and and as a result here are your blood sugar spikes because I can see every five minutes your blood wow. sugar is being streamed to me so I can give you that insight and you're like wow that is a teachable moment right there you will never lose that that lesson that you just learned mm. about the interaction of all these different variables but as a patient it's really hard to navigate that data without someone helping you so think about glue care not as a clinic Think about glue care as this like behavioral change engine that helps people navigate in a very customized way their own data. It's, you become like Neo in the Matrix. It sounds incredible, but commercially, how do you make that profitable? Obviously, building a clinic, building apps, and hiring these spe specialists needed some funding. Sure. And then you're supported with the uh, with the insurance. But is there is there a path to profitability? Like you know, can you can you is this sustainable? Like in, in theory, you know, if I had all the experts in the world at the touch, you know, powered by digital, that's great. But uh, how can I pay for it? The cost savings occur both on a short, medium and long term basis. So there is an incredible amount of money in the system that gets absolutely wasted. Mm. And the forms of waste are multiple. The simplest form of waste is redundant visits and redundant tests. So that's the short-term gains. So if I'm talking to an insurance company, I'll tell that insurance company, your patients right now are shopping around, they're going and seeing multiple doctors, and each doctor is prescribing them different drugs and different lab tests. You're paying twice, three times for the same thing. If you look at the data in Abu Dhabi, you know, FICA patients who are, who are poorly controlled diabetics have upwards of 12 encounters with the healthcare system per year. 12 encounters, that's three to four times more than they should. That's a lot of money being spent. And every single encounter is an opportunity for that provider to bill. Mm. Most healthcare platforms, and I'm gonna ding my colleagues here a little bit, are very profit driven and they're like ATM machines. Mm. Diabetics are extremely profitable patients. If you wanna be cynical about it, no one wants a diabetic to get better mm. because that diabetic is a really profitable patient. They generate a lot of revenues for hospitals and clinics lab tests, drugs, devices, more lab tests, more diagnostics. And then when they're not well controlled, visits to the ER, heart attacks, transplants, amputations, blindness. But doctors and uh, professionals aren't incentivized, uh, they're, right? Unless they own, unless they're on the commercial side in general. It becomes a gray area. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ideally, yes, doctors take a Hippocratic oath. When I, when I was in medical school, I had to take that oath. Mm. But in practice, you know, these are all private businesses with, you know, boards and shareholders that are looking for bottom line. As is yours. As is ours. The question is, how do you incentivize the right behavior? In our model, today we get paid by insurance companies for the services that we provide. But when we speak to insurance companies, we tell them, this is not the model that we want long-term. 
I actually don't want to get paid for the things that I do, the minutes that my doctors spend, the drugs that I prescribe, or the tests that I run. And we tell the insurance companies that. I don't want to get paid for the, I don't want to make a profit on an activity basis hmm. or on things that we sell to patients. Hmm. We want to get paid based on the outcomes that we generate. So on success only. That is where you drive alignment between the interests of the patient, the interests of society, and the profit motive. Profit motives aren't bad in and of themselves. Profit becomes problematic when the incentive driving to profit is misaligned from the incentive of global health. So as, today, that's the case. As a patient, so I obviously pay for the things that I need, or my insurance does. Correct. Do I have, um, with all this data, and do I have a, a software, like a subscription fee, uh, or do I have an outcome fee where... Today, we don't, because we, we want to prove this model. We want to gather as much data and produce as many outcomes as we can. Mm. So we're subsidizing that. And the benefit of having built and sold a business already is that I have the capital to do that. Mm. So we're self-funded self-funded entrepreneurs, basically. Wow. And we took the decision to, to fund this and to subsidize this for a period of time. So our patients so far have been enjoying access, full access to the tech team and all of those humans that you said that cost a lot because we're paying for it. Mm. And that's the bottom line. We're, we're essentially, we know that we have to invest in this because it's so disruptive. But over time, the sheer power of the outcomes that we've generated, which are so... I mean, it's, an, it's orders of magnitude better than anything out there, right? We're getting more than double the outcome of Imperial College in about 1 40th the time. Let that sink in. Mm. That's insane. I've got now 12-month data on diabetics that are um, essentially insulin-dependent, type 2 insulin-dependent diabetics. These are the most expensive patients. Insulin by itself is a huge cost thousands and thousands of dirhams a year, plus all the additional costs that go along with, you know, the finger prick, you know, which is the BGM and, and everything else. Very expensive patients. These patients probably cost 20, 30,000 dirhams plus a year just for management of their disease. We're taking insulin-dependent diabetics, and over a 12-month period, I have a 94% success rate in taking them off of insulin. Wow. I'm able to bring their diabetes under such good control that they no longer need to take insulin. What are your challenges? How do you how do you make this work or scale? How do you get people from stop going the traditional route to a company like Lucar? Well, so the beauty of our platform is that to the patient, it looks like any other clinic. You walk in, you get registered, you take your bloods, you see the doctor, you go through the team. The enhanced layer on top is like this beautiful surprise that they get. And then that continuous layer of like, the daily engagement once they're out of the clinic is something that obviously they've never seen. Mm. But we've got incredible engagement from our patients. But to them, it's actually no different. They come in, and at the end of it, if there's a copay from their insurance, they'll pay the, the small copay. But generally speaking, the, their insurance covers everything that we do. Mm. And the things that the insurance doesn't cover for now, we're subsidizing those things. But we're working with insurance companies now to figure out the reimbursement model that will, that will result in a correctly incentivized pay for performance. Hmm. So in the long term, and again, we didn't build GluCare in Dubai because we wanted to solve diabetes for just Dubai. We built this 
in Dubai to export on a global level. Diabetes is a problem everywhere. I, you know, it's, I kind of say it a, a bit jokingly, but if you put a blindfold on and point at a map, okay, your finger will either land on a body of water or on diabetics <laughs> or on desert, I suppose. But it's a problem everywhere. Okay. And it's a bigger problem in certain places. Um, but by and large, I mean, if you look at the GCC, half the population... Half of the adult population is either diabetic or pre-diabetic or obese or overweight. So why not focus on the GCC? We're focused on a global level. We already have a partnership with Luxembourg where we're taking GlueCare, virtualizing that as a clinic in the cloud model, and then using that to power their entire national GP infrastructure to help their GPs effectively replicate the outcomes that our physicians have, mm. have achieved. Mm. And you know, there's other stuff that sort of, uh, the Luxembourg is, is already sort of public. There are things that are not public yet where we're looking at large national scale rollouts. So GlueCare was really just a template mm. to show this model works and it works much better than anything else that exists. And then once we've got that, then it's a simple, almost, I don't want to sort of simplify, but it's almost a copy paste exercise. Mm. You know, say, like, okay, well, we have this, we've built it, we know exactly what to do to build it again and again and again and again. Hmm. Fascinating. But, you know, just talking a little bit outside of GlueCare for a second and, you know, you've built a business here, a health uh, business and successful. What sort of platform uh, country, you know, the UAE is to, to make that successful that you decided to do it again here? And do you think it's a good time to be building a business here? I think any time is a good time to build a business. <laughs> I mean, you're, but you're speaking to an entrepreneur by nature, so I'm a bit biased and my tolerance for risk is probably you know, off the charts, uh, you know, away from the mean, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, Dubai is a fantastic place to, to, to build a business, to build a brand, to attract talent. Um, we, so this is my, you know, my second business, um, that, uh, in the healthcare space, the first one, Amana, you know, um, our second hospital was a, was a, a rehab hospital where the regulations actually didn't exist. We wanted to build the Middle East's first private rehab hospital, standalone rehab hospital. This is not drug rehab, it's physical rehab. And it's intense physical rehab for people who've had strokes, car accidents, traumatic brain injury. Um, there, was, there wasn't a single one uh, other than some government facilities in Saudi Arabia, but in the UAE there was nothing. Um, we actually worked very closely with the regulators to help draft the regulations and the laws to govern ourselves. And we did that on an open book basis using global best practice and gold standards. And the regulator, which was you know, the Department of Health, uh, it was called the Health Authority of Abu Dhabi at the time, were very engaged, very involved, and very cooperative. And, you know, and I, you know obviously, um, you know, from North America, and what I tell my former colleagues, I used to work at Bain in New York, I was like, listen, what, what we've built in the UAE, I would have never been able to build in the US. Not mm -hmm. on the time scale that we did it, not with the risk profile that we did it. Um, you know, because if you, if you have content depth in a place like the UAE, you can achieve expert status very quickly and, 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 and earn an audience with decision makers very, in a very straightforward way. If you have value to add in this country, that value is recognized and that value is utilized because this country is looking to improve and enhance mm -hmm. every aspect of its society. And I just happen to be focused on healthcare. So in the diabetes space, like when we went to the Dubai Health Authority, we said, look guys, we're building something new here, but we need you to take a look at one piece of regulations as problematic. 
which is that outpatient facilities in Dubai are not allowed to have labs or pharmacies on site. Only hospitals can have labs and pharmacies on site. In the outpatient setting, pharmacies and labs are separate trade licenses. Mm. So we approached Dubai Health Authority, look, we're building this sort of like fully integrated model of care and having all of that in one place for our patients is really important. And they gave us the exemption mm. to do that. Mm. So, and, and it was, obviously it was also the middle of COVID, so I, I didn't have the luxury of being able to travel anywhere else to mm. build the business somewhere else. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you've got a tolerance for risk and if you've got access, I mean, part of, I, 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 I should recognize that I'm speaking a little bit from a position of privilege mm. because by virtue of being the consultant, you know, as the head of the healthcare practice at Booz, to most of these government entities at some point, my network was pretty broad and also pretty deep. Mm. So I, I've, I already know most of the people that I need to know to get answers to the questions that I have about feasibility, about regulations and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's harder if you're a fresh transplant from you know, London or New York City to come in and sort of build that. It takes time. Mm. So I think that was a little bit of our unfair advantage. Um, but broadly speaking, in terms of the business ethos and environment. There are certain challenges. Look, I'm not going to gloss over the challenges. Banking in the UAE is not great. I mean, that, that is, and I was on, I won't say which bank, but on the way over here, I was, you know, having one of those typical frustrating KYC conversations with, with one of the banks here. <laughs> but yeah, banking's a problem. Um, cost of doing business can be high, you know, um, in terms of business setup, company setup, and so on and so forth. But you work through that stuff. You build it into your, into your numbers. You don't have, you know, until next year, corporate tax. And so it's, it's part mm. of cost of doing business. Talent is um, expensive relative to some other markets that are within a three or four hour flight. Uh, most companies have figured out how to right size their staffing model. So they have a global staffing model. The people they need to have here, they have here. People who are offshore are offshore. Um, wh what's great is that, you know, increasingly more, and I think it's more true today than ever before. Dubai is a great recruitment tool. Yeah. You know, people want to move here, especially now. Um, there's a huge influx. I mean, look at, look at your rent price and your, and your real estate prices now. That's, that's not an accident. Mm. People are moving here. There's demand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, I've obviously enjoyed um, uh, being an entrepreneur and, and, and I've reaped the benefits of, of, of that here. Amazing. We're almost out of time, Ali, but just finally, it's coming to the end of the year and with respect to Glucare for 2023, what does the roadmap look like? Do you have specific targets in terms of clinics and customers or is it more of the same? It's still the early stage building phase. No, 2023 is going to be really exciting for us. So, you know, up until now, it's been proof of concept, proof of outcomes. Um, we spent 2022 templating all of that, but also broadening our breadth of services. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but we've just launched two very unique products. One is a subscription platform. People who are uninsured or underinsured, where their insurance companies are charging them exorbitant rates for coverage, people who have a precondition like diabetes. Yeah. We're offering GlueCare as a subscription now. Just like your gym, where you pay a monthly membership fee to get access to the gym, wow. people can pay a monthly access fee of... Uh, less than 700 dirhams a month and get unlimited access to GlueCare. All the lab tests that you need, all the clinical visits that you need, 
you know, obviously as per recommendation of the physician. What about the treatments, the expensive treatments, like the injections and things like that that cost so, a lot? So the tr it's not that expensive. Okay. If, you, if you tackle diabetes early, mm. it's not that expensive. It doesn't have to be. That's the point here. Mm. That's why there's massive opportunity for cost savings. Some of the drugs are expensive. Like everyone now, because Elon has tweeted about it, Kim Kardashian's tweeted about it, everyone's heard of Ozempic. Mm. It's one of the magic weight loss drugs. We actually use it extensively because it's actually a diabetes drug. Side effect, it's helping people with the weight loss. It's expensive. It costs about 12 to 1300 dirhams a month. In the US, it costs about four times that. Okay. So, so drugs, you know, on an as needed basis, you know, the patient will, will pay for whatever drugs they need. But the core clinical services, the doctor visit, the diagnostics and the lab tests are covered under the subscription. Mm. But the second program that we've launched now, building on, on the Ozempic story, is actually a medicated weight loss program. So exactly the same drugs that Elon and Kim used to use, did use to lose massive amounts of weight, we are, we've just launched a direct-to-consumer non-diabetic product. So for people who are, who are just losing, just looking to lose weight, but are not yet diabetic, okay? This is a direct-to-consumer, anyone can sign up. As long as you're eligible, you'll get a prescription for these drugs, and then you'll get the continuous care tech-enabled coaching alongside with it. So we really help you not only lose massive amounts of weight, and we're talking 10% of body weight plus, mm. but we're helping you keep it off by learning the sort of behavioral changes that you need to know, the food impact, the sleep impact, the metabolic impact. We call it continuous metabolic monitoring. Mm. And that's the key. Most of the patients that use these drugs, if they don't do it with a behavioral change um, sort of journey alongside it, the moment they come off the drug, their cravings come back and they regain the weight. Mm. Just like any other diet. If you don't stick to it and learn sort of sustainable changes to your behavior, you're going to gain that weight back. The only difference is with these drugs is now you're out of pocket another 10,000 dirhams mm. in the process without any long-term gain. Can people who, who are below that number, I think it was 5.7, can they benefit of your service? Yes, yeah, sorry, I should be, I should be clear about that. The, the, the 5.7 A1C is a measure just to see if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. There are plenty of people who have very healthy A1Cs below 5.7, but are still carrying around an unhealthy amount of extra weight. Hmm. That unhealthy amount of extra weight is already indicative of insulin resistance, but it hasn't yet resulted in a high A1C. So it's like, let's say it's, it's pre-high A1C, okay? So for those people, a medicated weight loss journey can make sense. Now there are eligibility criteria. A lot of people are using these drugs inappropriately. And it's, it's important to mention that because every drug has, has side effects. Mm. Um, but there are, there are criteria. So either you have to have a BMI of over 30 or you have to have a BMI of over 27 with at least one comorbidity. In other words, you have high, uh, high lipids or you're pre-diabetic or something else that's related to metabolic disease. Mm. If you meet those cri eligibility criteria, our physicians can prescribe you um, one of several uh, options. Um, but they're very effective. They're even more effective um, with Glucare as the, as the prescriber. And the proof in the pudding, this might be the last point I leave you with, we actually did now a partnership with Novo Nordisk. Um, they approached us uh, last year because in the published data, our results are twice as good as the results that they've ever seen. So we did a, a, a partnership with them which is fully at risk. For patients that are eligible, we have a fully at risk weight management program where if you don't achieve at least 10% weight loss, you get a full refund. 
of everything. Mm. And these are not cheap programs because the drugs are expensive, right? So it's depending on the drug, anywhere between sort of 15 to 20,000 dirhams in general for a six month journey, okay? But this particular program with Novo, if any of the listeners are interested, they can contact us. It's fully at risk. If you don't lose the weight, you get a full refund. Wow. And we did this because we want to hold the drug companies accountable to the results that their drugs can produce, which was um, first of its kind. You know, drug, you know dr I joke that you know, asking a drug company to give patients their money back is kind of asking like my five-year-old to give his Halloween candy back after trick-or-treating. It's not easy, but we managed to, you know, the, and the team at Novo, was, were, they were great. Very forward-thinking, very innovation-driven, and, uh, and this went all the way to their board for approval. So it's a first-of-its-kind partnership starting here in Dubai as a global first. And you know, once uh, once that pilot is done, we're hopefully looking to expand that globally. Amazing. We could talk at length. I could listen all day. Yeah. Thanks very much Thanks. for sharing about Glucare. Thanks, uh, it's fascinating. And I'm sure people will check you out online. In the come on in. I'll well. take your blood. We'll run you through a full <laughs> metabolic. You don't have to be diabetic to come to Glucare. I'll end with that. You can be. Uh, in fact, you know, we invite everyone to come in just to do their annual health check. And okay. you know, like any other clinic, you can come in. Insurance will cover it. Amazing. You don't have to be diabetic for us to treat you but I can guarantee we'll treat you better than anyone else can. It's great that smart people like you are solving these big issues while the rest of us you know, get on with it, but yeah, it's yeah. fascinating to see it in Dubai and well done and we wish you success. Thanks Richard, appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks. I mentioned at the start of the show that this episode was very similar to last week's in terms of healthcare. I personally learned an awful lot in those two hours about obesity and diabetes, uh, but it's also, again, with Dubai Works, with this podcast, uh, amazing to speak to so many interesting and entrepreneurs. Both of those entrepreneurs actually also came from uh, the consultancy background with long careers in the health space, uh, and they've come up with two different solutions that will definitely add value to the market here as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm personally going to check out Glucare Health and Wima Health as well. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested as well, do try that. Uh, thanks to our producers Shahir and Ali for putting together Dubai Works. One, episode 199. Next week is the big 200 before we finish up uh, 2023. If you are listening on the podcast, uh, please do like, comment, subscribe. Uh, you can also watch on Smashy TV uh, streaming service. That's an app on mobile or on smart TV devices. Uh, thanks for listening and speak to you next week, same time, 11 o'clock on Friday mornings live and then the podcast out in the afternoon. Thank you. Thank you.